Please stand. The scripture reading for today's message comes from the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, chapter 8, verses 4 to 9. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, You are old, and your sons do not want to follow in your ways. Appoint for us, then, a king to govern us, like the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to govern us. Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them, just as they have done to me from the day I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so also are they doing to you. Now then listen to their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this day, a day that is set aside so that we can come and worship you. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The fact that you are here this morning instead of at home sleeping or reading the newspaper says something about your commitment that we are reminded of in the book of Hebrews, that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now, it may have been a little more of a struggle for some of you to be here this morning than it was for others, uh, but at the same time, here we are. But it's also true that you could have chosen any church today without coming here specifically. For many of you, this is not the nearest church building to where you live. In fact, several of you drive by more than one church on the way to this church. But I am delighted, as is the church, that you come here. It's a fact of modern times that we have a selection of churches, each having distinctions in, in worship styles and preaching and fellowship and youth activities and so on and so forth, from which to choose. And there are folks who do change churches. Something happens that they don't care for in one congregation, so they stop attending there and start attending somewhere else. Church shopping has also occurs when people relocate. They may be sample, folks may sample several different congregations in a new area before settling on one. We can understand that. Some of us here have, have done that and, but before we united with this congregation. But you are aware that for the most of the time, the church has been in existence. Such choices were not possible. For the first 1,500 years of Christianity, Christians in any given 
area would ha all have belonged to the same body. The idea of shopping for a church was unknown. There were some differences in churches from one political territory to another, of course. But within the area governed by one ruler, it's pretty much one church, and that church was what? Okay. Most Christians in those times felt that they could be loyal to the ruler and, and, and going to this uh, church. It wasn't until the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century that things began to change in the church. Because we have all grown up in, with a, the multi-church model, it doesn't seem unusual to us. But in terms of church history, it is a, a fairly recent development. Most of us today also don't think of, in terms, for the most part, which church is right. Rather, we are more likely to think about which one we prefer. And that is a way of saying that different churches present different models of Christianity and different approaches to worship. I remember we were having a Thanksgiving, uh, I believe it was a Thanksgiving um, community service. And some of you may have been there. It's been a few years ago. Do you all remember the guy that ran the aisles in the church? Anybody here remember that? It's the way he worshipped. It's the way he worshipped. We, we really need to be careful about how we how we say that you ought to worship and how you ought not to worship. Um, they remembered in the, in the, the first, um, um, what do you want to call it, early service, that, that this morning they called the guy by name, and it's just a different style of, of worship. To some degree, the plethora of, of denominations that we, that we have today developed because people became passionately committed to one way of doing church over another. The differences from one church to another, and also the changes that, that take place within the individual church. They remind us that there is no absolute pattern on, on, on how you worship and how the church should be other than God should always be glorified. When you get away, when you get away from that, you've got away from church. Then you have become a social organization. And many, many, many great social organizations. You know, you think about Kiwanis and Rotary and Lions and, and, and all that. But that's not what the church is. You are the body of Christ. Call for a special service the same as Israel was. That's what got me to thinking about this sermon today, was 1 Samuel. In today's reading, Samuel is a no man. And in his time, he had been a good and faithful spiritual guide for the people of Israel. Samuel is the one, his mother's name was Hannah. She was barren. But she pleaded with the Lord and told, told the Lord, Eli was the priest, told the Lord that if he would give her a child that she would give her son in service to him. And that's what happened. This is that Samuel that grew up from that. But anyway, this was a time when Israel had no king or central government. The, the, the period of the judges, when individuals were called by God to lead people as needed. One of the several differences in being a king or being, or being a judge was 
whenever a king died, his son would succeed him. Not so with a judge. In fact, sometimes the tribes went several years and with no judge in Israel. That's usually when they would get in trouble, remember? And they would cry out to God, and God would send them another judge, and then they'd get back on the right path, and then this judge would, uh, would die or, or whatever, and then they'd fall right back into the same trap. Y'all, y'all read it over and again. Samuel had served the triple role in Israel. He was a priest, a prophet, and a judge. But now he was growing old, and, and he had appointed two of his sons to be judges in the southern region of the land, probably probably trying to get them ready, a training ground, get, get them ready to step in behind him whenever he is gone. But unfortunately, the Scripture says they proved to be corrupt. They proved to be corrupt. They weren't like their daddy. They had different things on their mind. In any case, some of the elders of Israel saw what was, was developing. And they came to Samuel. And they told him, you are old, and your sons do not follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern us like other nations. Well, like any of us, Samuel didn't approve of this idea. And not because his sons would be without a job, but because he saw this as a rejection of God as, as Israel's ultimate leader. A conclusion God himself offers to Samuel. And, and, so, and so he, he prays about Samuel prays about this. And he tries, but he's unsuccessful to argue the people out of it. But the elders insist, we are determined to have a king over us so that we might be like other nations. The point that we don't want to miss from this incident is that from the beginning with the Hebrew people, God's intention was for them to be a unique nation, one that was under his direct governance. That's why when human organizers were needed, God would call them to be leaders for the moment, but not kings to reign over the nation in this ongoing line. In telling Samuel that they wanted a king like other nations, these elders were, were saying they wanted Israel to be something that God has not intended Israel to be. In the New Testament, the church is intended to be in a special relationship with God and not like other institutions. Not like other institutions and manifestations of the general society. We're not supposed to be like every other institution. We're the church. We're the church. But just as just as those ancient elders wanted Israel to be like other nations something that Israel was not intended to be. So we too sometimes want the church to be something other than what the Bible calls it. And that is the body of Christ. Sometimes the things we want the church to be seem to be for the church's own good. And perhaps some of them are. 
but it's not always easy to tell. Back in the 70s, one of the ideas was gaining traction was that the church should operate more like a counseling center. That, that, that pastors and the church should be more or less a, a place for folks to come for counseling. Pastoral students were urged to, in the techniques of psychology, and prepared to see people for extended courses and for a long time. Well, you can see immediately the, the value of that idea. Faith and healing have always been deeply connected. And there was a, bit, a good bit of psychology behind many of Jesus' teachings. The problem with this idea was it took people who had been called to preach, bolstered them with a couple of counseling courses, and then sent them out with far too little training and experience to effectively provide extended talk therapy. There were few pastors who found that they had the aptitude for this therapeutic counseling. But they would take the time and go get the extra education necessary to do it. And they also found that this extended counseling didn't leave many hours for pastoral work. Many of these pastors eventually found counseling centers where they could work full time. And in doing so, to not serve the church. Most pastors value, I know that I do, what we've learned about psychology. It has seeped into our preaching and influenced how we function in many pastoral situations. And helped us in some of the brief counseling that we do. But in the end, we had to conclude that the church could not be largely a counseling center. And still be the church. We had to say no to the plea. Similar to that of the elders of Israel who wanted to turn their nation into a monarchy like other nations, to make the church like other places that, that give counseling. Friends, we have to be careful on what we ask for. The church must be careful about what we ask for. I remember the charismatic movement. It busted Jonesboro First United Methodist Church right down the middle. And the charismatic uh, movement, not, not a bad thing, but it was the way that they went about doing it. I remember a church, and in, in Charlotte will remember this, that, that started in, in Paragol in the late 70s, early, early 80s. And what they would do to get people to come to church, they would plaster $10 bills. And back in the 1970s and 80s, that was a lot of money under certain, uh, under certain seats. And under certain views. And if you came in and sat down there and you turned your flag, hey, that was all yours. What do you think Jesus thinks about that? In the 80s, pastors heard the proposal to make the church like a business. We read books such as In Search of Excellence that describe how the best businesses in, in America accomplish their tasks. We were urged to apply the same principles to the church. I've even heard it suggested that pastors should think of themselves as CEOs of their congregation. We learned some good things from all that. In my own case, looking at business principles that made me less patient with committees, it did that. Why? Because they don't work. And you, and, and you can take good people and put them on a committee and ruin them. Let's go do ministry. Get on a task force, get into a small group, and go do it. 
and go do it. But when we step back and we really looked at the matter, we remember that businesses of necessity are driven by what? What are businesses driven by? Bottom line. The bottom line. No matter how much they may want to care for their people, who are often impersonal, uh, allies, uh, human resources, if it comes to a choice between the well-being of employees versus the well-being of the bottom line, which one's going to win every single time? Which one? Bottom line. It's going to win. In the end, we had to say in the church, no, to the plea of making church like a business. In the 90s, again, the church heard the plea to make the church more like the entertainment world. We should have services, and for the lack of a better term, that, that can be called contemporary, meaning, meaning uh, relational. To which we, 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 we sing praise courses and songs and, and project high-impact visual images on screens hung in our, even in our sanctuaries. This was to, to reach people who either won't come to a traditional worship service or who do come to a traditional worship service but emotionally drop out while they're there. Y'all know what I'm saying? We have learned a valuable, a lot of valuable things from this experiment. We have added some excellent new music and songs to our repertoire and loosened up some of the stiffness that had dominated worship. We Methodists, we can get awfully stiff. I said in the first service, there hadn't been a thousand amen said in that sanctuary in, uh, this whole year. You need to understand, it's okay. We have become more conscious that not everyone responds to one mode of worship. And we have enlarged our view of how God can be worshipped and praised. Notice I'm saying God, not the world. Not the world. We're supposed to be changing the world. The world's not supposed to be changing the church. Y'all with me? Okay. But in the end, which we have not quite reached yet, we will have to say no to the plea to make the church like an entertainment world. We are not here to be entertained. This is not a stage. This is the chancel area. You want to be on stage? Branson's right up the road. None of us are here, starting with me, are here to be entertained. And those are only three examples, and I could go on and on. But hardly, they're not the only pleas that the church has heard. Among the others are, make the church like a political action coalition. Make the church like a fraternal organization. Make the church like a social work agency. Make the church like a retreat center. Make the church like a school. And friends, not one of those ideas is bad. And there's room in the church for elements of every one of them. But in the end, just as Israel's best route would have been to remain a unique body, 
Not like other nations. So the church's best route is to remain with what Christ has called us to be, his body in the world. Israel got its monarchy. But even, even the best of kings to come along in line, we think about King David. He was not free from monopolistic urges. And the worst of the kings, Manasseh, go read about him sometime, was practically a drum major leading people against God. Long before the Old Testament closes, the kings are gone and the people are under Babylonian and Persian rule in exile in Babylon with their monarchy destroyed. The Hebrews begin to learn again what it means to be God's chosen people. And sometimes when we hear that word chosen, we, we, we automatically think, that that means for privilege. No, 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 no. And not better than anyone else. Chosen means that God has entrusted the gospel of Jesus Christ to the church to go spread that. You and I, you and I, are unique people, peculiar people. We've been set apart, that holy thing. But it's not for privilege. It's so that we can serve. Our identity is that we live on the promises of God. You know, Jesus said, I'll never leave nor forsake you. Isn't that, isn't that comforting when your heart's broken? And when your whole world is turned upside down? Oh, yeah, Jesus said he'd never leave nor forsake me. How about that? We should remember that the, in the final analysis, the, the reason Israel could make its unique contribution to the world was not because it had kings, but because it had been called by God, the same as the church is. We can always learn some techniques. Don't think that I'm that stupid. No, not stupid, ignorant. That we can always learn techniques from other institutions and occupations and industries or fields of endeavor. That's all around us. But we need to always resist calls that want to change our identity as the body of Christ. We will not make our contribution to the world through how much we're like other institutions, but through how faithful we are to what Christ has called us to be. It's the only way that our contribution will be, as Jesus described it in the New Testament, the, the pearl of great value, that which a person will give up everything else to gain. As members of Christ's church, we share in the unique identity as a people of God. And when we realize how unique and how blessing laden that identity is we have all the more reason to value it to welcome it and to be a part of it as our praise team comes this morning I have talked to several 
of you this week, and I don't know who all that Jonathan has talked to, about you becoming members of this local congregation. I'm going to ask you, you can come pray about whatever you want to pray about, but going to ask you if today is, is a good day for you to become part of this, of this local congregation, to be a part of what God is blessing right here. Jonathan and I uh, both will, will be up here, and, any, and anybody you want to bring with you to receive you into full membership into this church. We ask you to look deep into your heart because this is not, this is not a civic organization. And what we do here is very, very serious because we're dealing with eternity. We're, we're dealing with our growth in Christ, those of us who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior. In that sanctifying process, becoming closer to the Lord each day that we live. Please stand and let's sing.